Hey everyone, welcome to episode 151 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always, Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? How's it going? Pretty good. We just hosted the Mana Traders tournament yeah, the last first, weekend. That was fun. Their first, you know, 15k, you know, the capstone tournament thing. They have the, the qualifier mm-hmm. for a month and then they have the Swiss and Top 8 and we covered that whole tournament and... Right. It's a pretty good, pretty fun experience. It was fun. It was fun. Uh, slightly disappointing on the decks that won. Pioneer, <laughs> Pioneer just does not change. Yeah. It just stays the same. Yeah. Well, like, our, our top eight was a bunch of inverter, Some a mono white. white. Yeah. Uh, what what else was there? there was there, there was a burn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. two breaches. Um, yeah, two breaches, and then Eric Hawkins on burn. Right. And it's just the same stuff i guess burn is sort of a thick newish thing because it started being a thing again when companions came out and right but like inverter has just won every tournament just if you're playing pioneer play inverter yeah. <laughs> next topic like, like you yeah you top aided an open a long where, time ago where it was like half inverter mm-hmm. and you're like yep that's the last time i get to play this deck right and here we are yeah four months into a pandemic <laughs> quarantined and our, our tournaments that have been made up on the spot are all being won by Inverter, so... Yeah. And Pioneer is a strange beast. That... It is indeed. Just tune your Inverter deck to whatever else <laughs> people are happening to try. Yeah. And you'll be doing fine. Yeah. Put I'm... some new cards in there. We had the new... Eliminate. Eliminate. Yep. Make yourself yep. stronger against Gideon of the Trials. Like, not a bad thing to do. Yeah. And and you're, you're a fine deck. You're yep. just playing better cards than most people. <laughs> uh and a combo kill which is yeah it's twin it's splinter twin yeah it is the closest thing to a splinter twin type of deck that we've had right since splinter twin really right that that like control combo with just powerful card advantage tools and a lot of card selection to put things together mm-hmm. just and people love that archetype too it was heavily represented mm-hmm. in like 42 copies like almost a quarter of our meta game see i find it so funny like people certainly playing pioneer are willing to and do play inverter and it's kind of the consensus best deck people watching despise <laughs> inverter I'm, I'm like down to watch an inverter mirror i think that they're very intricate and mm-hmm. interesting yeah but yeah it seems like the average viewer is not interested at it's, all in it's that. really an unpopular viewing experience mm-hmm. contrast that to the vocal part of the community that's like we just have to unban splinter twin gotta do it <laughs> right yeah maybe there's no overlap between these two groups mm-hmm. but i feel like that venn diagram is like as close to it like the people who hate inverter and really want splinter twin back in modern there's probably yeah no for sure a, a good amount of overlap there yeah. yeah also flashback and shout out to when we banned splinter twin because it took up 10 percent of a metagame <laughs> do you remember that 10 percent of the metagame it's too much yeah gotta get it out of there Goodbye, Splinter Twin. And now we're just kind of like, Inverter was pushing 25. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 50% of a number of top eights. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the real reason behind a Splinter Twin ban is often, is, is you know, the, the thing that is cited to me and the, the thing that I, I have a lot of respect for is like, boy, it's just not a fun play pattern. Yeah. Like it really ruins games that mm-hmm. stuff was going on in. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that I think that it was reasonable to get that out of the format. I think that it was too much. And I think that it's an interesting kind of like thought where if if Splinter Twin existed today in the uh in the environment that we're in right now where people are more apt to play the best deck. Mm-hmm. I don't think that people were as persistent to play the the mm. most popular archetype i mean i know it's been many years now there yeah there i can definitely see everybody like, there has plays, been a shift in magic culture generally yeah everybody just plays the best deck or mm-hmm. or close to it these days and metagames i think are a lot more defined because of that hmm. these days so i wonder if blunder twin existed now what would be the the metagame percentages that we would see of a deck like splinter twin yeah i i think it would be more than 25 percent in my mind well if we had that metagame that splinter twin existed in and like yeah all things being all things being the same yeah right because who knows how good it is in Mm -hmm. current modern probably fine like there's a lot of tools that it could pick up i I certainly think it would be a a very solid deck 
But yeah, like if if we just ported that metagame to today, like what would be the percentage of people who played Splinter Twin? Probably I think higher. it would be a lot higher. Interesting. Yeah, Team or Twin with Uro, that's exactly what would happen. Really gross. <laughs> but anyways. Speaking of Teamer, we should talk a little bit. You know, we just had a new set come out. Yeah. So pretty normal to talk about standard after the new set comes out. Let's scroll through some deck lists here. You know, everybody in chat watching can tell I'm not scrolling through deck lists, but <laughs> metaphorically scrolling through deck lists, man, this standard metagame looks a lot like the old <laughs> standard metagame. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Teamer Reclamation still on top. Mono Green got a bit of a resurgence. Mm-hmm. I remember when when I was in the Team Lotus Box meeting where we were going over the new set, we kept on looking at all the green cards and we were like, wow, all these new green cards that can just easily slot into Mono Green Stompy are pretty strong. Yeah. There's the group, which I think fits in really well with the beatdown strategy. Scavenging use is a huge pickup. Yeah. Uh, just being able to not have to worry about Uro as a mono green stompy deck is, is huge. Uro is such a stopper mm-hmm. for a creature based aggressive deck like mono green. Right. That having that answer to it, I think that's the biggest, by far the biggest like percent increase that the mono green deck has is yeah. a weapon against Uro. Right. And mono green seems to have tools against every single archetype right mm-hmm. now. It being an aggro deck is just fundamentally strong against reclamation. Mm-hmm. Re- that, that's the one archetype that reclamation struggle against the most is the aggressive decks yeah so you know being able to close out the game really really quickly when team of wreck is still kind of like getting its footing down is really powerful and the butts out size like scorching dragon fire yeah doesn't kill the important creatures right gem razor on a, a plus one plus one counter based creature and killing a reclamation is like card not card advantage but at least like tempo and then a big hit very right. quickly yeah and obviously, like, Questing Beast as a finisher is just damage out of nowhere. So a lot of, lot <laughs> yeah. of good stuff going on there. Right, for sure. And then also, like, against the the Bant decks of the format, the, the really the only thing that they have going for them is that they have Shadow of the Sky. Mm-hmm. But now we have Heroic heroic Intervention, intervention which is a, an excellent sideboard tool against uh, decks that are trying to live by wrathing the board. Yeah, yeah. And even works against, like, you know, Elspeth Conquers Death on my 4-drop. You know, it's hexproof yeah. and indestructible. Yeah. I do think that the new Garuk has some space for it to succeed, especially like, you know, as a sideboard card where you want more planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. As just a four mana stompy planeswalker, right. it seems like Vivian Arcbow Ranger is just, you know, a little bit better at what the stompy deck wants to do. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I do think that that card is just generally stronger. The one card that I think it is better against is something like a sweeper. Where you want your planeswalker to be able to like just come down bodies. after the sweeper and make a body, mm-hmm. or like come in, pump your guys, they sweep, and then you minus for your three three. Mm. Some just some good play patterns there. But. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. The mono green stompy deck is just legitimately respectable at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, and scavenging use, you know, just proves it's worth time and time again. Right. So, yes, I, I that card is going to be very impactful. Yeah, from, from my in my mind yeah it just always overperforms like whatever your expectations are like it's just kind of better than that most of the time it's the right. only two good two drop in pioneer like yeah and you know i think it's going to be by far and away the best two drop in standard mm-hmm. unless you're counting growth spiral in which case that one takes the cake but is, that it, is it a count. two drop that's not a two drop <laughs> that's just a completely busted ramp spell <laughs> yeah that is fair just want to take a look for some other of these standard decks uh just you know looking at like the standard challenge here there is some amount of renaissance of azorius control and Mm -hmm. some of these builds are really really interesting so this not this one but this eighth place list from the standard challenge on the 28th Mm. uh, this is just four main deck yorians yeah why play 80 cards when you could just put all four yorians in your main deck which is definitely a little bit wild to me like i I never would have obviously like Yorion, great card when you're mm-hmm. companioning it. Right. Even better under old companion rules. But this five mana thing that requires you to have something on the board and blinks it and is just a little bit clunky, like hard for me to have imagined that as a four of and probably never would have gotten there except that people just had so much time playing it as a <laughs> companion and then it's like, I just I do want this all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes drawing it and being able to play it on turn five is better than it being in your command zone and having to pay the three mana to draw oh, sure. into your hand. So maybe that was the conclusion that they came to where they were like, 
man, I, I really just want to be drawing a Yorion so that I can cast it on curve to mm -hmm. maybe like, you know, install the board and do a bunch of stuff. And the one that I do have over my Cam and Man zone m might be just kind of rotting there because I never have time for the mana. Yeah, yeah. A few of these blue-white lists have like one or two Teferi Master of Time in them. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, kind of cool to see a new card from the new set because this is not one of the sets that came right. down and just like stomped on the metagame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just a one of Teferi in this list that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, and I I don't know if that is indicative that the Teferi is good at all. The one of, to me, kind of sounds like... We're trying it we, out. Yeah, we'll tr I'll throw one right. in there. We'll try it. Yeah, yeah. So if those numbers go up, then okay, yes, the card is good. Yeah. But... I mean, I think it has made appearances in some of these, you know, there's two in the seventh place list. Okay. It, I mean, you know, the, the thing that it does for the blue-white deck very specifically is it helps your Elspeth Conquers deaths. That's, it's a loot effect to put something in there for Elspeth Conquers death. Right. If you didn't, or they kill it, and then that's the thing you can get you back get with back. Elspeth Conquers death. Right. And yeah. certainly, like, a, getting to Fairy Master of Time in play with your mana untapped you're really likely to be able to do something pretty nutty with that yeah. card. No, for sure. And the extra loyalty that you get, I mean, you know, this is a Planeswalker that ultimates to win the game. Right. So, right. Um, two turns is no joke. For sure. So, you know, a little bit of, n not even new stuff, but at least a little bit of churn, a little bit of, like, rediscovery of some old stuff. I mean, you know, Nasif just, like, played blue white control and of course top with blue white control and yeah. you know it just Didn't, doesn't matter what the meta is wasn't the story that he like lost the finals or something to, to timing to out in the mirror time yeah i i don't know classic it's 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 pretty nuts yeah <laughs> i mean it, it's so on brand that right. it's like maybe good for him to have done that <laughs> just because the storyline is everywhere yeah, yeah yeah amazing so yeah um, so and then just Scrolling down these lists of decks, Bant, Teamer Wreck has, mm -hmm. you know, not quite as all over the place, probably because of this mono green deck's presence. Yeah, that could be true. And, you know, the other decks are just stuff we've seen. Some Knights, some Simic, just nothing really brand new happening quite right. yet. Yeah. Mono Red is kind of around mm -hmm. as well. Um, kind of always has been. Yeah. It seems like it's performing reasonably well recently. Yeah, I guess keep an eye out for that, but mm -hmm. it, all it takes is, like, more Uros to shut that down. Yeah. Yeah. And Uro is not the kind of card that I don't, I think is going to get hated out by something like Scavenging Use. Like, it'll still exist. Right, right, yeah. right. And and Scavenging Use just makes it a little bit less egregious in some matchups. Right, yeah. But at this moment, it's hard to fit Scavenging Use into any deck that's not just Mono Green Stompy. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so hard to build a jund sort of deck in this metagame right because if scavenging ooze is your answer to uro but you're playing a 15 turn game <laughs> like they're gonna figure they're out they're gonna a way kill to it you. and then you're gonna get uroed yeah right yeah yeah so that's uro is definitely putting its constraints on the format for sure yep i don't know anything else to talk about with standard kind of no yeah, I mean, you know, mostly the same. Mono green is kind of like the new big thing. Uh, people are trying out the Teferi. Mm -hmm. I don't, it, yeah, it really doesn't seem like there's going to be that much more of an impact. I, I'm surprised that no one has really tried out the new Time Walk card. Or... Oh, no, that, so I've seen a lot of that being played. Oh, and yeah? that's probably kind of hidden in some of these, these ramp lists. Okay, yeah. So I don't know if we can find, you know, an actual list very easily that is using discontinuity mm -hmm. but definitely there is something there in that card and you know right. it, it's not the type of card that i immediately engage with and i'm like yeah this is a tournament <laughs> card yeah but boy that being able to cast it on your turn for two like there's actually like a number of uses for that no i mean i i think it is a a, a tournament card in some regard mm -hmm. i certainly think that there are some play patterns that it enables that are very powerful. Mm -hmm. Like, people have been talking about the, you know, if you have four mana, you can play your Uro, put in another land, and then end the turn to keep your Uro. Yeah. And that's, you know, 
a very powerful sequence if you can if you can assemble that early. Right. If um, you're unlucky, you do it on turn four. If you're lucky, you grow spiral into it and do it on turn three. <laughs> right. Exactly. So. And you still get the the good comes into play trigger from the arrow because mm-hmm. they're two different triggers. Yeah. You get to you get to do all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. Yeah. So Uro has been perfectly designed to allow that to happen. One other thing that is maybe a little too cute and a little too clunky, mm-hmm. but it could give you a little bit more to do with discontinuity if it's not quite there, is that it does work with Lotus Field. So, you know, you kind of get a double rampant growth out of it. That's fair. Right. But it is a little clunky, and I think discontinuity may just be good enough on its own when it has an early game use with Uro, and it has a late game use of just, I have mana, I just need to, like, buy a little time to activate this Nissa a couple more times or whatever. Right. Like, it, it, yeah. it just, that sort of split card effect makes it pretty good. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah, I, you mentioned Lotus Field, and I wonder if it's a card that might eventually see play in the uh the breach archetypes yeah uh just because they're really good at getting to six mana Mm -hmm. and i could totally just see like you know it being able to be this like enable my lotus field turn to be much better and also when i hit six mana i just get to rebuy like it's kind of just like well so it exiles itself so if you use it early yeah, I mean, I'm not thinking that you would get it back with okay, Breach. Okay, gotcha. You but just, just like as a card, get that to use it as a time bridge walk. you yeah. and, and time walk. Okay. Um, just because you you do have a lot of mana in that deck a lot of the time. Sure, sure. Yeah, not great by any means, but it's a it's potential. Yeah, yeah. I could see it, mm-hmm. but you know that's one of the less exciting uses <laughs> for it. To me. Like, I, I'm not sure yeah. that it's adding like an actual dimension mm-hmm. that you're just like, oh yeah, this deck is so much better now. Right, right. but. Because that deck actually, like, already has the ability to use uh, Lotus Field really well Mm -hmm. without doing any... The trick is I have a Thespian stage, and you do get your double ramp and growth. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. So, I don't know. But the card is... Like, the card has applications, and I, you know, am not... My brain, my magic brain isn't wired to recognize recognize those without somebody helping me. (laughs) So, what, what do I know? It's a weird one. So... That kind of bridges us a little bit to Historic, which also Discontinuity is seeing some play there. We have not really talked about Historic at all. Right. So this episode, because we have a tournament coming up this weekend, mm-hmm. we have our inv- the Lotus Box Invitational. Yeah. And that is going to be 12 players playing a double elimination bracket, standard in the winner's bracket, and uh historic in the bottom bracket and so we got to learn some historic going into this right so this is step one let's look at some lists let's talk about this format let's talk about what we've heard about this format and i kind of want to engage with this the way that we would if we were about to start testing a new format okay like what are the things that you usually focus on if you're just like mm-hmm. going to start playing a new format and you don't know that much about it maybe you just haven't played it in a long time or whatever yeah like where do we where do we start? What are we trying to find from looking at some lists? Well, kind of the first thing that I would want to do is kind of like learn a little bit of the history of the format. Mm-hmm. So, and there are some kind of like key things that have happened very recently and historically we can talk about. Yeah. So it just went through a series of bannings mm-hmm. where it in arena kind of got the same bannings that standard did. Yeah. When standard banned, what was it? Fires and, and agent and agent. Historic also banned Fires and Agent. Which was pretty wild because the Winota deck in Historic just was not an Agent deck right. at all. Yeah, it, and it, during that time period in Historic, Winota was the dominant presence. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Agent of Treachery at all that was the problem. Winota was hitting... Angrass Marauders Angrass and Marauders. Hactos. Right. Just like, you know, trying to beat down. <laughs> yeah, well, it just can kill you turn three potentially right yeah very crazy uh ingress marauders if you don't know is a seven mana four four draft chaff rare yeah. from ixalan or rive ixalan block right and it's a four four human that doubles all the damage your stuff deals mm-hmm. and so it's really easy to kill them in an attack step with that <laughs> yes and if you get two you quadrupled the damage all your stuff deals yeah and and this is a deck that you know going back to pioneer for a moment this was a deck I was hoping to see in our Pioneer tournament. Mm-hmm. It didn't really end up happening, but Winota is a deck in Pioneer that I think is strong because you can play like 10 Elves and 8 Rabble Masters 
and also kind of eight Winotas because you're playing Eldritch Evolution. Yeah. So you can turn your stuff into Winotas. Mm-hmm. So I think I, this, the mana consistency problems is mm-hmm. probably one of the things that's holding it back. Yeah. The, the floor yeah. is kind of like, it's easy to miss pretty hard with the deck. Right. But I would encourage people to try to continue working on that deck because I think that at it's like current popular iteration. I think the mana is built wrong. I think the sideboard's wrong. And I haven't had a chance to put the time into it myself, but mm-hmm. it, I think that there is room for improvement there. Sure. But anyways, back to Historic. Yeah. <laughs> Winota got emergency banned out of Historic after they realized, I guess, that they missed <laughs> what was good there. So that, I think, for the most part, put Historic back into what it was before Winota. And the main players, from my understanding, were... Uh, Nexus of Fate decks. Mm-hmm. That was a huge element because Nexus of Fate, another completely broken card and dominant in its standard at all times. Yeah, I think that there was a little bit of Kethis floating around, but I really haven't seen much of that lately. Yeah, I I talked with Evan about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Evan is a Kethis diehard. Yes, he is. Um, and so I think that there's a couple of problems with Kethis. Mm-hmm. The Nexus deck got better. Right. And so Evan doesn't think that it quite caught up in the matchup to to make it favorable to Nexus, but it gained percentage in the matchup, okay. which, you know, hurts Kethis overall. Right. And Scavenging Ooze is now just a creature that gets played in one of the most one or two of the most popular decks in the format. Yes, Scavenging Ooze is rough for Kethis. Yeah, for sure. So now we're in this phase where the Winota decks went away, but the aggro decks did not. Yeah. <laughs> from no. what I'm seeing. And this is one thing that I like to pay attention to when looking at a brand new format, brand new to me, Mm -hmm. is I like to understand the restrictions on the format in the form of like the maxima and the minima. Mm -hmm. So what is the biggest thing that you can do in the format? Well, in any format that Nexus is legal, (laughs) you know, until you get to like much larger formats. Yeah. Any format in which Nexus is a good deck, Mm -hmm. Nexus is the biggest thing that you can do. Yes. And, And that mostly stands true for any like combo deck with a win the game combo a win the game combo is bigger than any amount of like ugins or karns or anything like that right yeah so if that's playable like that is your like limit on long game stuff is you need to be able to deal with that and it's pretty clear from looking at multiple tournaments that like the concept of nexus whether it's bant or simic is really really powerful yeah you still got Wilderness Reclamation. Some of these lists are playing two. I don't think that's right. You have good Planeswalkers, and you have access to Discontinuity now. And since you are an Uro deck, mm-hmm. which gives you, like, solves one of your problems. Like, here's right. the win condition you get to play. This is what kills your opponent, and it's just a ramp card. <laughs> so it doesn't take up deck space yeah. in any awkward way. Uh, and and then discontinuity is just a pretty good card in the deck and gives you a higher density of time walks when you're in the early stages of trying to chain nexuses. You just have like three or four more time walks you can hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very high power level to that no. concept. No, absolutely. Yeah, just the consistency. Because Nexus Fate was like, when you get to a certain point, it's just the only card that you want to draw, right? You want to get your your quote-unquote howling mine effect in play Mm -hmm. and then you just want to be drawing next fate or additional turns for the rest of it so when you when you increase that density yeah it's really strong for sure um the one thing about it is because of the other most heavily played deck in the format Mm -hmm. you cannot rely on fogs yeah you can't be a fog build because gruel aggro is extremely popular Mm -hmm. and just has usually a bunch of questing beasts and a bunch of bone crusher giants yeah both of which say no to fog yes right. so that it's not a good plan so that's why we've seen some of these lists move over to having white to be bant lists and that yeah. way you can play either shatter the sky or potentially settle the wreckage although shatter has been a little more popular mm-hmm. and that also lets you play a couple different to blue white to fairies in your deck if you want to right which you know nobody ever complained about being able to do that no i mean teferi's an uh, amazing card and also like being able to untap lands helps you a lot with casting your nexus of fates yeah those were the original before wilderness reclamation the the nexus of fate decks were 
Teferi Hero of Dominaria <laughs> Nexus decks. Yeah. Because you got your... Like, and they were still great. Yeah, they were pretty good. Yeah. And, and it only really became... It exploded when mm-hmm. Wilderness Reclamation came out, but they were there for, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I do... So we're looking at this uh, deck that looks like it won a Arena Community Cup. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as it's just Bant, Ramp, Wilderness Reclamation, Nexus Fate stuff. Yep. Um, you're playing both Teferis, you're playing Uros, uh, you're playing Shadow of the Skies, and you're playing Nexus Fates. Yeah. And that's that's the formula. Nothing too surprising. There is no interaction except for Wraths and the life gain off of Uro. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, it's, the rest is just, like, Planeswalkers and time walks. Right. Yeah. And, and Don't need to interact when you're just taking all the rest of the turns. Yeah. Your opponent can do whatever they want. Um, these Gruel decks are a little small mostly um mm-hmm. you know they they mostly have like lanoir elves burning tree emissary robber of the rich scavenging oozes and they go up to questing beast and they're certainly aggro decks they're they're not mid-range a, a, a lot of them you know i like the four embercleave versions of the yeah. deck right i mean embercleave they're just kind of these key cards that create archetypes mm-hmm. and i think embercleave is that card for this deck yep is that, yeah, I mean, we have Lana Elves, and then we could ramp into Powerful Threes, like Gruel Spellbreaker and Bonecrusher Giant, and then we're just cleaving them. Yep, definitely believe in the cleave. <laughs> and and those, those really are both the two most popular decks in most of these tournaments, it seems like, yep. and they kind of set the the bookends of the format like you mentioned earlier it, that's like the fastest thing that you can do and then like the the biggest thing that you can do right um and it's pretty it sounds like it's pretty tough to be a mid-range deck right now in historic yeah how can you be a board control deck when there's just a time walk deck in the format <laughs> right yeah you either need to kill your opponent before they're doing their thing with the time walks or you need to you know be doing the time walk thing the MDG Melee oh, this is a naming deck. algorithm strikes again. This four-color mid-range deck is just straight up a Kethis combo deck. <laughs> right. And so I, I was I was doubtful when I clicked on it. I was like, are we really doing four-color mid-range? No, mm-hmm. we're we're combo killing our opponents. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, based on what we're looking at right now, that does seem to be like the options right now. Mm-hmm. Is that you can be an aggro deck or you can be a combo deck. Yeah. It's really tough to be a control deck right now as well. Um, like being a mid range deck, you're just gonna mid range is just gonna lose to the over the top time walk stuff. But if you're a control deck, your only angle that could exist against the time walk deck would be counter spells. Mm-hmm. But that's just not gonna work when that deck also just plays for Teferi time raveler or yeah 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 Teferi time ravelers yeah and. Pre-board, I mean, you probably have to be a little bit pre-boarded for the deck in order to to beat it with counter spells, and that's mm-hmm. that's really tough to do. You can't just put Mystical Dispute or Dovin's Veto in your deck where right. you can play against Lanoir Elves, Gruel Spellbreaker, yeah, you guy Embercleave, very punished yeah. for that, right? So yeah, I mean, the, the, and this is exactly the kind of thing I'm looking for when I'm looking over just like a a deckless dump is that like okay what like what are the archetypes that are excelling right now and what are the archetypes that seem to have been pushed out yeah and that gives me a good idea of like which which avenues that i can explore yeah and then you know there's the click on the one-off decks because they're exciting and you want to see them part oh yeah like I, I do want to take a look at this is it control deck? all right that is also a misnomer oh so this is a is it quote control deck featuring dreadhorde arcanist kiln fiend and sprite oh, it's dragon it's an aggro deck <laughs> so yeah this is this is just a, a kind of cool sprite dragon though yeah this deck is really cool i love having so you've got crash through and you've got raking claws a common from Ikoria. Mm-hmm. the you know one of those cards that ends up in a lot of my draft decks because it has cycling <laughs> yeah but target creature gains double strike until end of turn if you got a kiln fiend on turn two Double strike it. Yeah, turn three, crash through, raking claws. That's just double strike trample. You just teamer battle raged your seven power guy. Excellent. Yeah, we I, did it. I love doing that. <laughs> I like this deck a lot. This mm-hmm. definitely speaks to me. Yeah. Four spell pierces in. A bunch of infuriates. <laughs> yeah, infuri- target creature gets plus three, plus two until end of turn. Get in there. Yeah. Oh, and I, I definitely also like the uh, the one of Gigantha. Just because we can. We can. There's no cost All of our to spells it. are super cheap, so none of them are going to be double anything. Yeah. Might as well put a Gigantha on the sideboard. <laughs> yeah. And I... Man, do I love casting spells off a of Dreadhorde Arcanist. 
feels good. It's, it's a really good feeling. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, Dreadheart Arcanist, infuriate it, and then flashback my raking claws. Yeah, I mean, and that's some damage. That works. Or just flashback the infuriate that's almost, the, that's like nah. pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm just always looking for ways for Dreadheart Arcanist right. to cast the bigger CMC stuff. Yeah. more than one spell. Definitely. So. I, man, I'm so bummed that standard is built the way it is and has the power level the way it is. Because the thing that I want to do so badly is build some unholy amalgamation of Dreadheart Arcanist and Mutate guys. Okay. And use Mutate guys to increase the power to cast stuff. That would be cool. And in particular with Valdok, the the mutate guy that casts spells out of your graveyard with cmc oh, yeah. ls like right. it seems like there should be something there that you can do but it's just a you know we're just a couple years too late to be doing stuff like that yeah it's a little too cute mm-hmm. and standard's a little too powerful yeah i mean they just like put an arrow into play and all of your nonsense is also he who shall not be named exists <laughs> to fairy, to fairy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that'll put a damper in your Dreadhorde Arcanist that you then put something onto. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it also stops Dreadhorde Arcanist's ability from working. Mm-hmm. Like, it just... Dreadhorde Arcanist isn't in the greatest place in a Teferi-focused metagame. Yeah, no, for sure. Because even just, like, on the draw, play a Dreadhorde Arcanist, and then they're I'll like, bounce it. Hell yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> bounce you too, and you're gonna lose this game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's rough out there, for sure. What does Mono Red Aggro look like right now in Historic? I think it's just another Embercleave deck. Yeah. yeah. Light of the Stage, Goblin Chain Whirler is cool. I mean, one thing that is legal in Historic and something that I would be interested in potentially putting together, because this seems like a way of beating Gruul, is mm-hmm. Goblin Chain Whirler is pretty good against Gruul. Yeah. And then Call of the Death Dweller with Goblin Chain Whirler is just a really easy, like, Plague Wind right. thing to do with, with two pretty good cards. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the mana supports that or if there's a deck that can be put together to support that mm-hmm. but you could be a call of the death dweller deck and also play the one one that makes a five five right and you can play some sort of you when know the sacrifice sort of deck doesn't necessarily jive with goblin chain whirler no. that well right but there's there's probably some mid-rangey sort of thing you can do to take advantage of these things right so in standard some wild people definitely put together the goblin chain whirler plus uh what is it statue uh oh, combo yeah i'm blanking on the name there's the split card yeah and i'm statue's the wrong side statue is the one that killed something uh but but the other side gave plus one plus one in death touch right yeah. so no i mean that was a, and that was a very real deck for a long time yeah and it, i think it was mainly just because like the mono red version of that deck was so powerful that you just like couldn't screw it up and right. if you wanted to get cute and put black into your deck for that card yeah. you just could yeah um but yeah no i i do remember that deck so i i would love to play some call the death dweller mm-hmm. goblin chain whirler combo stuff i i just that that seems like it would feel really good to do yeah for sure i, I gotta click on jund dinosaurs here wow this just straight up is jund dinosaurs but they put ingbercleave into it of course how can you not love that i mean there's rotting regisaur in this deck right so yeah uh, yeah of course yeah rotting right. regisaur marauding raptor i mean this was a standard deck for one minute yeah and this is mostly that standard deck but it just has Embercleave now robert, uh, robert stanley brews tend to make their way into older formats okay. I'll, just, I'll just say that much <laughs> yeah this is certainly a robert stanley masterpiece of old yeah standard yeah you were into this deck i love for, for, for the minute we were allowed to play it yeah yeah I uh I could not get enough of this deck. It's just it just satisfies all of my cravings in Magic. Yeah. Like just ending games really quickly and you know doing seemingly busted powerful things where my opponent just throws their hands in the air. <laughs> I mean, and Rotting Regisaur Embercleave is just one of those things. And when you put right. it together, yeah. Oops. Yep. Gotcha. <laughs> there it is. So what? You know what's the first step? Like we've looked through some lists. You're mm-hmm. gonna sit down at your computer, pull up Arena. Because I don't yeah. think you're allowed to play Historic on mode. That doesn't exist at all. So no, you got to pull doesn't. up Arena to play some Historic. Yeah. Well, okay. So the first thing I would do is I'm looking at the archetype that makes up a, a significant portion of the metagame. And it looks like that one is Gruul Aggro. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would do is I would look for 
the deck that I believe would beat up on that deck. Sure. And what might be the answer to that is like a well-tuned Bant list, mm-hmm. uh, Bant and Nexus list, um, and try to go that angle. But because Gruul fits my 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 preferences in terms of strategy, I would probably just start with playing Gruul. Mm-hmm. So I queue up, queue up Arena, I, I'm playing Gruul, and if I start just really getting crushed by one particular archetype and the way that it plays out feels really, really unfavorable for me... I would explore more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but playing the best deck gives you a lot of understanding of, you know, why it's the best deck. And if you're just crushing everything else, then sometimes then that's like the sad conclusion of like, all right, yep, got to do this and yeah. figure out the mirror. But sometimes you run into something over and over again and you you just start losing to it. And it's like, wow, I can't ever beat this whatever it is deck. That's definitely Might been... want to transition to that. I, I believe... At least for me, it certainly has always been the most efficient way of finding what beats a deck. Mm-hmm. Is just play that deck. Right. And then when you get in that matchup and your like soul hurts <laughs> because it's just like, God, they just not this again. Yeah. Then you then it's like, okay, cool. And that's this the the problem is solved for you. The question mm-hmm. is answered. You don't need to theory craft. <laughs> right. You're just like, I can't beat all these shatter the skies and right. and you know, absorb whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you you go from there, and you either fix your deck, or you try the other deck and see what that's losing to, and then you start to get a, a good picture of the metagame. Right. So, you know, just pulled up a, a different historic tournament. This is uh, an Arena Zone Open that I'm just taking a look at to look at some of these other lists. Looks like a fair amount of Gruul aggro in here. One thing to keep in mind as well is that Field of the Dead does exist True. in the format yeah but i would be very disinclined i'm not even interested in trying it until something shows me that my beliefs are wrong here because i'm not trying to play a deck that goes big on the board right in a nexus based meta game right yeah well so one of the reasons to go for a strategy like this would be where you're like okay i believe that aggro decks are going to be heavily heavily represented in this format Mm -hmm. and sure there will be some nexus but my expectation is that the aggro decks are going to be dominant and take over that if i think that my mid-range play to the board land strategy really does a good job of crushing the aggro decks Mm -hmm. then you know maybe that's a, a like a metagame call consideration yeah um so yeah like maybe maybe this um this yarok cavalier of thorns um it certainly seems built deck. to beat those aggro decks with yeah. like three disfigures and two heartless axe main deck mm-hmm. alongside the arboreal grazers and the, you right. know you can get, get your, to your game pretty quickly Uro's pretty good at beating up on aggro yeah uro with two <clears throat> two comes into play triggers too <laughs> yeah that's pretty that's pretty good that's nice yeah four full a full clip of yarok the desecrated that's, in this list i'm that's pretty commitment. into that that is commitment for sure I also do enjoy a deck that goes over the threshold of 30 lands. We have 31 lands in this deck. <laughs> and as soon as you're a majority lands deck, then... Yeah. You're allowed to have lands in the name of your right. archetype at that point. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. What else is... Ooh, a Rakdos Aristocrats list? I'm just interested in seeing, like, what the additional tools stuff picks up in Historic, because right. if I'm being completely honest... I don't know exactly what cards are illegal in Historic. This is... It looks like just the standard deck. This really just looks like the yeah. standard deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's got one... You got Stitcher Supplier. It's got one Village Rights in it. And that's not enough. That's not enough. That, I okay. kind of want way more than that. Talking about Village Rights, this card is really good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So hopefully this tournament was there, like, I'll try this card, and hopefully they discovered that Village Rights is just insane. Yeah. Um. I would heavily recommend playing... A, a pile of village rights if you're playing some sort of sacrifice deck right right you can probably cut one of the croxes from the deck and you yeah, can probably always been bad yeah, it's anyways. just not very good <laughs> yeah you can probably cut some amount of just the the nonsense creature you know one or two nonsense creatures and right yeah mm-hmm. so yeah village rights is definitely something that i would love to explore maybe even in like in modern or something yeah i mean the 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 price is there the one mana card can find a spot in a lot right. of different formats it's it's got everything going for it it's one mana mm-hmm. and it's instant speed yeah so you can just hold it up and like if you're pressuring a removal spell deck 
just you just wait for them to point a removal spell at something and then mm-hmm. you're like all right draw two yeah yeah um, definitely so not as many modern decks are able to just like play a bunch of creatures and then grind you know the the like grindy creature strategy is kind of limited towards like prowess type decks which this certainly isn't a thing yeah. for right for sure but you know maybe it's powerful enough that it encourages you to do something that we kind of haven't seen mm-hmm. in modern and certainly that the ability to just have a sack outlet for stitcher supplier in a stitcher supplier based deck yeah that that's something gotta get your cocos to do something somehow yeah i mean <laughs> some some it's it's really hard to like put dredgers into a vengevine deck and have your deck actually function yeah but you know village rights sacrificing stitcher supplier put a dredger in your graveyard like that could be good it could be good it, it it's really hard to get the like card counts of each ingredient correct so right. yeah yeah i'm i'm not I, I don't know about that coming together it might i mean i certainly have kind of no idea it's not like an easy thing to just right work out in my head right now but i, I i'd be interested to see what those numbers look like yeah i just yeah i mean like you said mm-hmm. i just have my eye on village rights mm-hmm. it, it just is as good as this card can be without making it like a draw three or something like that <laughs> right right and I mean, historic seems like a, a format of appropriate size and stuff. That's it's funny you mentioned that because Rakdos Dredge is is an archetype name. Interesting. I I'm I'd like to see exactly what that. Is. That's that's just the same deck. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> MTG Melee strikes again. When you can name your own deck, I know you get a lot of nonsense. It could be anything. This one does have Archfiend's Vessel in it. Okay, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Because these are Luris decks, right? Like to be clear, they are compa- decks with Luris as the companion, because they don't want anything that costs three mana, anyways. So. Right. This is the call of the Death Roller deck that we were kind of alluding to earlier. Well, but no Goblin Chain Whirler, yeah, so I'm I mean, kind of uninterested. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad for sure. Oh man, anything else interesting? More? Is it tempo? I wonder if this is. I mean, this is built reasonably differently it's it's got some searchers canas is interesting yeah you don't often see that in like a sprite dragon terramander no i think this is probably not a build that i would look at initially (laughs) yeah probably not i I love casting search for (laughs) escanta because the card is busted (laughs) it it used to be it used to be yeah (laughs) maybe not in this era yeah cards are really good okay but it is it is busted because it is an enabler in the simic nexus deck oh that's fair so you just you just play a bunch of search for escantas and no it's true complete nonsense with wilderness reclamation it is it is busted in that deck no doubt yeah no doubt but yeah i mean i think that's you know that's mostly an overview of uh historic yeah i feel like i've at least taken a you know 10,000 foot view of the thing yeah and we're, we're expecting to see a lot of aggro decks mm-hmm. of different varieties a lot of combo decks in mostly one variety yeah and then it's hard to play any sort of like resource you know resource trading resource denial mm-hmm. sort of deck it's hard to position right. yourself between those two things in yeah. a way that can work against both of them and that is kind of cool is that combo decks is not something that we've seen a ton of mm-hmm. recently I mean, Pioneer, like, if you're if you're calling Inverter a combo deck, mm-hmm. Pioneer is certainly that format. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, you can... Right. If you want to take certain argument tacks, like, you can argue that Mono White, Inverter, and Breach mean that Pioneer is very combo deck heavy. Yeah. No, that's fair. But I just don't view it that way. Like, the games are so mid-rangey and grindy and, yeah. and stuff, and I just don't imagine that that's going to be the case in Historic. Mm-hmm. I think Historic games are going to end quickly. Yeah. Well, so. well, I mean, okay. D- Effectively depends on your quickly. D- right, right. <laughs> the game is going to be won, but it might go on for a while. There might right. be a lot of seven mana blue spell, blue instance cast. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That one, that one takes kind of forever. Yeah, it is not a good card design <laughs> nope uh but you know oops made a box topper <laughs> god yeah oh man <laughs> what a strange thing yep. to have done <laughs> look man we're living in a weird timeline <laughs> it, it really is <laughs> so yep. moving on from historic okay i want to talk a little bit about evan our our friend and roommate posted a little bit about like potentially improving the arena ladder 
Yes. Um, I think his post got a little bit of pushback on mm-hmm. Twitter because, I think partially because people didn't really understand exactly what he was saying and also because the way he wrote it up, you know, he, he wrote up like kind of here's some math and here's some suggestions. Right. Which is not really what magic content consumers <laughs> necessarily need. I think no. I think a lot of magic Twitter needs a little bit of extra push. And, you know, if I were writing this article with Evan, I would suggest that he anticipate counter arguments and address them sure. and, you know, sort of walk people through what he's saying here. Yeah. And, you know, Magic Twitter also likes to highlight problems and not solve them. And yeah. this is a, a, a problem solution proposal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, uh, sure, like it definitely can have some problems in it. But right. focusing on. So, I mean, the thing that that Evan is trying to address and other people are trying to address. I know Mason Clark wrote an article today on like, hey, here's a suggestion for fixing arena ladder. Mm-hmm. And the thing that we want to address is ladder is a grind mm-hmm. and it's kind of meaningless. Right. And there's no way to just straight up add meaning to the ladder and be like, yeah, top 10 on the ladder, get money or get qualifications. Right. There's no way to do that without like massively increasing the grind problem and like the mental health problem that a ladder adds to the game right so if you're operating within like narrow strictures of like we have to have the ladder which is people climb by playing and drop by losing then it's hard to fix these problems with it yeah one solution that i've been you know advocating for a long time is I don't think that the ladder is supposed to reset monthly. I think that this is pretty clearly a carryover from Hearthstone, Mm -hmm. the main card game that had a ladder at the time that Arena came out, and Hearthstone reset every month just because that's the way that they did it, and it kind of stuck that way. But to me, it doesn't really make sense for Magic to do that because a set comes out every three... Like, shouldn't a season be a standard rotation right and then you see how well you do in this standard and then the ladder resets Mm -hmm. you see how well you can do in the next standard and then the ladder resets and i think that on its own would reduce some of the just like i gotta get to mythic again to (laughs) play against the players that i want to play against and to like brag about my rank and stuff like it's a chore right and i've hit mythic a couple of times but i just you know i get shot back to platinum and it's I, I don't play arena and now it's like the sixth day of the month and it's like i don't really want to do this mm-hmm. and, and it just yeah. doesn't happen so that that's a thing that i personally think should happen some of evan's suggestions here that are interesting you know he, he starts out by by talking about how difficult it is to make rivals through these arena events that right. are held yeah he, he looks at chris patello who made rivals this year chris you know got barely got in just like everybody barely got into rivals when they make it yeah his record in the arena events was 41 and 11 total (laughs) yeah so that's a 79 percent win rate yes which is not a realistic win rate for any top tier player right right and, and so, you know, Evan does some math here that I think is really helpful to, to display that. If your win rate against, and, and this isn't just against Magic players. Right. This is against the people that qualified for these Mythic qualifiers and these Mythic points challenges. Mm-hmm. These are the better players on Arena. Right. They're, they're good. These, these tournaments are difficult. If your win rate against them is 65%, right. which is just like savant level <laughs> magic playing at that point if you're 65 yeah. against this field if that's your true win rate your your actual average over infinity games mm-hmm. then your odds of hitting that 79 percent that's about what's required to make rivals two percent so every right. every 50 seasons <laughs> you'll make it sure yeah if, if you drop your win rate from 65 to 60 then your odds of success at the Evan has calculated drop to 0.3%. Right. So every 300 seasons or so you'll make it. Right. And and so, you know, that's a problem. This is not a reliable way of qualifying for stuff. 
And so if you make rivals through this and then you have a kind of rough season and drop out of rivals, you're not coming back. Like, yeah. you can't climb arena to rivals multiple times. You're, right. you're spiking it once and hoping that hoping for the best after that. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he's proposing some interesting stuff, uh, including, you know, making ladder give mythic points as a reward. Mm-hmm. And I think that clearly ladder as it exists now can't give mythic points as a reward right because we just if, if any whoever if you were paying attention to twitter today yesterday uh when the, there were a fair amount of tweets about i hope my rank holds when the the going into ladder reset like mm-hmm. i want to be qualified for the next mythic qualifier but i have to be top 1200 and i have to go to bed <laughs> and it resets six hours after i have to go to bed and there's just nothing i could do about it or and and it's just a crapshoot if you're going to drop a bunch of ranks or if it's going to hold and a lot of a, a lot of people drop like 400 ranks in a day of not playing or something because right. people are really grinding at it especially right at the last day yeah like yeah 400 700 people are going to be trying to make it a little higher and that's going to push you down if you're not playing yeah so you know what what evan has proposed and what i think is a really good idea is and and it is a good idea generally mm-hmm. whether or not the latter starts giving different rewards but in order to provide like a true reflection of skill without your without you being disincentivized from playing when you are at a high rank mm-hmm. is to use uh your your maximum mmr as your way of being ranked in yeah. the season yeah, and this is something that I've talked to Evan in the past about. Mm-hmm. We were just kind of generally talking about like ELO and uh, like other ranking systems mm-hmm. that we like. And Evan, back then, he was like, yeah, my favorite way to actually rank players is maximum ELO over a set period of time. Yeah. And essentially what that means is that you're you're never disincentivized to continue playing. Because even if you continue playing and you you drop elo, you still have that peak. Right. You hit you hit two thousand. Right. And then you that is your personal best for the season is right. two thousand. Yeah. And then the latter is everybody's personal bests yeah. for the season. Rank one is the person who managed to hit twenty one fifty. Right. And that's your target then. And mm-hmm. you know, like, man, if I grind, I wonder if I can hit twenty one fifty. Right. But you're not going to lose your 2,000 going for that because that was your max. Mm-hmm. Like that, that will be your max until the latter resets. Right. So I think that that method has some pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I think that the pros in my mind is that it is a true reflection of the actual skills of the players. Mm-hmm. And it incentivizes you to continue playing. Yeah. And you don't have to just like stop and like hope or whatever. It's not going to be such a, a fluctuating mm-hmm. uh, leaderboard. I think the leaderboard is going to become like relatively stagnant, like probably even like halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you're just not going to be able to move your personal best as much. Right. I mean, that and that is because personal best is a pretty direct reflection. Like what's the best like 20 ish match run that you can put together, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that is heavily based on personal skill like right. you're yeah. gonna punt a few times if you're not like totally dialed in yeah. and but the, the downside that i think that is like the most applicable to this specific scenario is um a complaint that has existed which is we don't want to incentivize a pure grind yeah and that is what this will do is if you know if we're giving out points to top 100 mm-hmm. or whatever top 10 whatever it is the people who are on the bubble and their their pr is on the bubble mm-hmm. they are going to grind and grind and grind and right. grind and grind and just try to get and just a couple more points up or yeah, yeah exactly um i wonder if the solution would be to set an mmr each season that is the thing you have to hit to get one mythic point and then there's a higher one that's the thing you have to hit to get two mythic points or something like that i kind of like that and that could be that that i get that sounds to me kind of like like the chess like grandmaster system right right where you you hit a certain elo and that Mm -hmm. is that determines your rank right yeah so so i like that where like if you if you hit 2000 or whatever Mm -hmm. you you get your your point or your two points or whatever that could go towards 
qualifying. Yeah. Um, hmm. So that could be a thing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then, yeah, and then that would also, that would disincentivize the, just like the eternal grind of like, oh, I have to, you know, be at the top of ladder. But mm-hmm. also it can have, it can allow for ladder to be that, in my mind, true reflection of like where people are at in terms of their skill level. Yeah. And, you know, the, I think it fixes one thing that, you know, makes pure MMR or ELO a kind of bad reflection of play skill as opposed to to max MMR mm-hmm. because those are really designed for you know Elo is really designed for chess like right. for no variance games right and so if the important thing to you because of how the ladder is is my current Elo my current MMR at this moment that means that like I want to like we've all done it like I want to rank up you lose two matches in a row <laughs> like. I, I was at like 800 and now I'm in the percents. Like, right. yeah, yeah. Crap. <laughs> Not great, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and I, I do like that it is an elegant solution to that problem. Yeah. So, so. And, and I'm sure there's a bunch of different ways that it could possibly be fixed or at least be better because it is. I just, I have no incentive to play ladder. I mean, maybe if I get really into it and want to start posting like this deck got me to top 100 ladder but like that's not really the kind of content that i'm trying to put out like that's that's not what i really have fun doing so yeah that's fair but there's also so like one thing that i kind of would rather do is do away with the ladder entirely and have the you know move to more of a league model Mm -hmm. because they have constructed events on arena right and they want to kind of push you away from those because they you know if you have like a lot of players can use those and will net gold from playing them right and they kind of don't want anybody to do that right so they would rather you're playing ladder than than doing these things yeah the the competitive players who could do that are more incentivized to to hit to hit mythic mm-hmm. level yeah right yeah and so they they want those events to be yeah like they, they don't want anybody to get in there and like seven win every time or anything <laughs> like that i guess sure I, I i mean i guess probably the amount of gold that comes in and out like evens out because win rates end up at 50 percent over population so i don't mm-hmm. actually know what happens but certainly they would rather the better players aren't just eating people up in those queues <laughs> probably yeah but I would way I would way 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 rather play arena if it were whatever ladder system, whatever ranking system, whatever qualification system were just based on like play these events. There's a start, there's an end, yeah. like and and not necessarily like I, I would love if it were built into those like constructed event things where you can just they're like leagues. You can just pull one up at any time, put you know grab a deck, play a match, play a match go eat something, play a match, <laughs> right. go to bed. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and if, if your success is in those, mm-hmm. like, based on based on record, based on how... not it, it definitely shouldn't be just, like, how many times you've seven-wind or whatever, but it would be nice if... You know, that's how I play Magic in real life, is I play tournaments. Right. And I would love... I would rather translate it over because those, mm-hmm. like, self-contained experiences are kind of how I prefer to play Magic. Yeah. And allow you to also live a healthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Ladders are... Ladders in card games where you can get varianced out. Mm-hmm. It, it just, like... It's rough. It's some bad mojo. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm not sure that the ladder as a whole is fixable just because of that. And if there are rewards at the top of the ladder, there's no way to stop it from being a grind, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, it's just built into there being a ladder. It's like, fundamentally, it is people competing head-to-head for spots. Yeah. And so. and then every person you add to that group competing for a spot makes it that much more of a grind. Right. Regardless of what your system is, you have 3,500 Mythic players and there's 100 slots over grabs or whatever, then... Yeah. And I, I'm sure it's more than that, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know what the actual numbers are, but... Yeah. It's tough. Yep. Abolish the ladder system. Yep. We're done. We're done with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 
But I will be playing some arena over the next couple of days. I have to play some historic. I can't. I'm also going to be playing some historic. Yeah. Yeah. Can't can't see myself commentating getting, never having played a match of it. Getting so. to the gruel trenches. Yeah. <laughs> That's my plan. It's a good plan. I'll, yeah. I'll give that one a shot first and then right. probably get more creative. And we'll see what more. I have more of in my in my arena. Okay. Yeah. Is either the gruel deck, which I'll probably have a significant amount of, or the um, yeah the nexus deck, which I I think I have all of. But we haven't talked about jumpstart on this show yet, have we? I don't think so. Yeah. I, w- I just want to mention the weirdness of the whole thing a little bit. Okay. So, you know, it's a... Maybe we did talk about it a little. But it is a a set that comes in boosters, sort of. But each booster is half of a deck. Mm-hmm. You open two boosters, put them together into a deck, and then play against somebody who did that same thing. Yeah. So it's a kind of neat way to have an evening of magic that you can just do out of the box that as an idea i think is like pretty fine and pretty Mm -hmm. cool good for new players for sure and and i think it's just a great experience that you can have around a kitchen table like that sounds cool as long as it works i have no idea if it works or not sure the the value in the packs is actually it seems pretty high there's a bunch of like really good reprints and stuff yeah so that's kind of nice the place where it falls apart is the implementation into arena (laughs) right which is so so strange like, number one, I can't imagine the experience of playing Jumpstart on Arena is the thing that I want to do with my time and my gems. Sure. Like, get a deck given to me that's a limited deck that I don't get to build or draft or anything. It's just, here, here are your packs, this is your deck. Play against faceless opponents in this casual format until you get X wins or X losses. Like, I, I don't think the experience translates, number yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, and number two... The lists mismatch between real life and arena. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of cards that they printed that have not been able to be legal in arena due to power level or just codeability. Yeah. Or whatever. And then there's Flame Tongue Kavu. Yeah. <laughs> so. Right. So so the 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 thing that makes this truly, truly weird is that Jumpstart will be legal in Historic. Mm-hmm. So it's legal in Historic, and it's legal in Legacy. Right. And that... <laughs> so not not Modern, not Pioneer. It, it's just... And, and this is making Historic, like, truly its own wild format that is kind of dissociated from most of the rest of Magic. Right. Yeah. Oh, Historic. Yeah, so who knows what the jumpstart cards will do to the format? Mm-hmm. Probably, probably kick it up a lot. And I'm I'm glad for our invitational players that jumpstart happens after the invite. Yeah, so. I was gonna ask like when does it all get implemented? But... It's it's after I checked specifically. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> but you know, at least historic isn't getting exhume and reanimate. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if if those go into the format, then. Like, there, there are plenty of two-mana cards that put things into the graveyard, and that's... Yeah. Just can't have that with reanimation. There's even two-mana cards that put themselves into the graveyard, so... There's... I, I actually really like the... It's like an uncommon from M21. It's a... I don't remember the name, but it's a 7-7 seven, seven blue creature that, like, gives your opponent's creatures minus one, minus O, and it has not cycling for one in a blue, but one in a blue, discard it, look at the top two cards of your library, put one in your hand and one in your graveyard. Oh, really? Yeah, so this, it just, like, tosses itself in your graveyard, helps you dig for a thing, and, you know, it's, like, a relatively low-power, like, reanimation target, and the, yep. the thing does cost two, but it's, like, a cute little package that I would love to find a thing to, to do with it. With. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, that's pretty cool. But obviously we're not getting reanimate in historic and i wonder what that does for the balance of the jumpstart packs because they're replacing them with like analogs so it's like lightning bolt gets replaced by lightning strike sure and you know in a lower power like kind of limited sort of thing like the difference between bolt and strike is not enormous no uh but i think like if the reanimation stuff is getting replaced by like zombify like that is a pretty big difference and yeah. i wonder what that does to the experience zombify what does zombify do again just four mana oh okay. to bring something back sure from your graveyard yeah and so like that's the difference between casting a reanimation spell and a removal spell on the creature or spending your whole turn right reanimating yeah yeah it's fair but i you know i'm probably never gonna play a 
a game of Jumpstart, so what, like, I guess what do I care? We, we should order some. <laughs> you, I, you I would bad. be down, okay, I would be down for that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm totally into ordering some Jumpstart and playing mm-hmm. it within the house. That sounds fun to me. Sure. Yeah. Because then it's like a real life experience. Yeah, which yeah. It, I think it's clearly designed for mm-hmm. and is exciting for that. And the reprints in particular are exciting for that because there's stuff that like Commander has been, has made valuable. Right. But, you know, opening doubling season on Arena is not, like, a special thing. Right. But, so. Fair enough. I don't remember if actual doubling season is in Jumpstart. That was just my there's, example. But there's stuff. There, there's a Mirari's bunch of stuff. Wake, I think, is in there. Okay. That's um, already on Arena. Oh, is it? Yeah, it oh. was in a historic That anthology. might be what I'm thinking about. Oh, okay. I mean, there, there's there's several yeah. commander reprints. I think like Oracle of Moldaya is like one of the big ones. Okay. Like that one is very difficult to find in real life. Otherwise, and okay, gotcha. and there's stuff in that sort of realm of commander cards. Okay, okay, cool, cool. But anyways, I think that's pretty much all we got for today. Mm-hmm. Everybody in chat, thank you for hanging out. Thanks for watching. Really appreciate it. Um, if you want to come hang out this weekend. We are going to be casting our Invitational Tournament, the Lotus Box League Invitational. We've got 12 pretty awesome, very good players, and a pretty diverse group. Yeah. Like, people from kind of all over the world, and, and so it's been really neat. I've, I've talked with a bunch of them, interviewed them, and uh, yeah, it should be a pretty fun show. So that's this Sunday, and come hang out. If you want to find us online, you can find us at mtggrindcast.com. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. The podcast is at mtg underscore grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Ballin. Thanks a lot for listening, and have a great week. Peace. Xbox is unplugged, no longer noisy. <laughs> it's a very old Xbox One is like part of it, so it's yeah. like, you know, release day Xbox One. Solid. Which, why the hell would I buy a release day Xbox One? You were into like, it, apparently. Two games came out for that thing in its entire existence, so. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. You ready? Yep. Okay.